We're going to look at verses 1 to 12 this morning, but let's, let's go ahead and begin by reading all the way to verse 18. So Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him to me, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Chapter 2 of Matthew focuses on how Scripture was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and the specific focus is on where Jesus was born and where He grew up. Every Old Testament scholar knew that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. And so how could Jesus of Nazareth be the Messiah? And Matthew shows in, in chapter 2 not only that Jesus was born in Bethlehem according to the prophecy, but also that the Messiah had to come from Nazareth as well. And Matthew shows that from four passages from Scripture, four Old Testament passages that were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. And all four of those fulfillment passages tie into the place where Jesus lived between His birth in Bethlehem, and then the move uh, to Nazareth. 
And so Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He fled to Egypt. He returned from Egypt and he settled in Nazareth. And the first of these four Old Testament messianic prophecies are in our text today in in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And at the same time that Matthew is defending the fact that Jesus is called a Nazarene, he's also showing how different groups respond to the one born King of the Jews. Remarkably, the, the Magi from the East come and they worship Jesus Christ. These are Gentile, non-Jewish people, and they come from Persia and Babylon or even Arabia, and they, they come from far away and they come to worship the baby king. But that's not how everyone responded to the coming of Jesus Christ, and that's not how everyone in this gospel is going to respond. Herod, the, the king, the king of Judah, appointed by the Romans, responded with anger. Herod was a notoriously violent ruler who defended his reign at all costs. And he pretended to want to worship Jesus, but his actual goal was to find out where he was so that he could kill the newborn rival to his throne. Verse 16 again, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. Now besides Herod, we're going to see another response in our text today. The religious leaders of Israel, the chief priests and the scribes of the people, these guys spent their lives studying the Scriptures. And they knew exactly what passage to turn to that that spoke of the birth of Christ. And amazingly, these scribes and, and priests don't even investigate the Magi's claim. They, they knew where Christ would be born, but they don't even seem to care. Apathy is a good word to describe their response. And so in our passage, we see these three responses, apathy, anger, and adoration towards Christ. Three responses to Jesus' birth. His own people reject Him, and yet the outsiders receive him. And we're going to use these three responses as, as standards for ourselves as we examine our own lives as we work through this passage. And so how are you responding to Jesus Christ? Where is your heart at in regards to him? Is he your God and your king? Would you spare any expense, travel any distance, give anything in order to worship him? Or could you care less? Maybe you know all the verses. Maybe you can quote all the Scriptures. You can look religious, but when it comes right down to it, you just won't go out of your way for Jesus Christ. He matters little to you in your day-to-day life. Or perhaps even worse, maybe you are hostile to this Jesus. Perhaps you want no king besides yourself. Perhaps you can relate to Herod. You are a deceiver and a scoundrel, and Christ and His claims on your life make you angry. All people are going to find themselves in one of those categories, either at adorers of Christ, apathetic towards Him, or angry. How do you respond to Christ the King? And I want you to think about that question as we work through this passage. How are you responding in your day-to-day life towards Jesus Christ and His right to rule in your life? And we're going to outline the, the, the text then according to the, the two groups of, of worshipers and rejectors. We're going to see first of all as we work through this that the Gentiles 
who seek to worship the king in verses 1 and 2. Gentiles seek to worship the king. Secondly, we're going to see Israel rejects and ignores the king in verses 3 to 8. We see Herod and the priests in that section. Israel rejects and ignores the king. And then thirdly, the Gentiles worship and serve the king in verses 9 to 12. And I'll give you those again as we go. But first of all then, number one, Gentiles seek to worship the king in verse 1 and 2. Gentiles seek to worship the king. Verse 1 tells us for the first time in this Gospel that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah. There was another Bethlehem in in Israel, but this is the, the main Bethlehem. This one was known as the city of David. This is Bethlehem in Judah or Judea. And uh, it was the city of David because David had grown up in this little town. It was about five to six miles south of Jerusalem. And uh, and so there's Bethlehem. And now we're introduced in verse 1 to Herod. And he is called Herod the king. Herod was king of Judah. The, the Romans had appointed him as king of the Jews. But actually, Herod wasn't really a Jew. He wasn't a, a, a natural-born Jew. The Romans considered him a Jew because he had converted and his parents had converted to Judaism. But in reality, Herod was an Idumean. And in, in biblical terms then, he was an Edomite. And the Jews considered Herod uh, a half-Jew. They, they didn't consider him a full Jew. They didn't consider him as their king. And yet the Roman government had made Herod king. Now, there's many Herods throughout Scripture. This is Herod the Great. And Herod the Great built all kinds of uh, famous buildings and towns and renovations, including the temple in Jerusalem. And so he was great in the sense of his building and architectural and and um, administrative rule in, in Judah and Jerusalem. But Herod the Great was also known as a ruthless and violent man. He had two of his own sons murdered because he had suspicion that they were going to try to overthrow his throne. And he also had one of his wives killed for the same reason. He was suspicious of them. He he would try to, he would really stop at nothing to, to thwart those who would, who would have the potential of, of overtaking his reign. He held on to his position as king tenaciously. And so what our text does then is it sets up this contrast between two kings. One is Herod the king, and the other is Jesus born king of the Jews. Jesus born king of the Jews, verse 2. It's literally the, the born king of the Jews. He's, in other words, the legitimate son of David, the heir to the throne through his adopted father Joseph. And then there is Herod the great Herod, the, the non-Jewish, non-son of David, appointed by Israel's oppressors. And so on the one hand, there the one is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and the other is conceived by an Idumean. One is righteous as the Son of God, the other is notoriously wicked. One is worthy of worship, and the other is entirely unworthy. The one king has the entire Roman army at his disposal and will stop at nothing to protect his empire. The other king, a helpless baby, but God is with him. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 2, we'll see that Herod is dead, but Jesus is still alive. And so God protects his son from Herod, who becomes like another pharaoh. 
Pharaoh of Moses' day, similarly, Herod tries to destroy the children uh, and, and thwart God's purposes for Israel by killing all the children. And just like God delivered baby Moses and used him to deliver his people from Egypt, so God will deliver baby Jesus and accomplish his purposes through him. Remember, to save his people from their sins. Verse 21 of chapter 1. And so what we see in this passage is that one greater than Moses is here. One worthy of worship. And one greater than Herod is here. The rightful king of Israel has come. The one who will shepherd God's people. And after Jesus was born, then the, the wise men, literally the, they're called magi, the magi come to Jerusalem. And this could have been shortly after Jesus was born. Remember the, that Joseph and Mary had to go, uh, they had to, to leave their hometown Nazareth and go to Bethlehem to be registered. That's from Luke chapter 2. And while they made this, this journey to Bethlehem, when they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth in Bethlehem. And Jesus, remember, he was born in a manger because there was no room for him because all the people had come to register in the town of Bethlehem. And in verse 11 of our text, the child with Mary are in a house. And so there, it seems like they're no longer in the manger. But remember, the, the mangers are usually just an extension of the house, a, a separate room with animals or a separate room for animals attached to the house. And so this could have been really almost immediately after Jesus was born. They could be at coming to the house there in verse 11 uh, immediately after Jesus was born and, and now they've moved from the manger and into the main part of the house. But, but on the other hand, this could have been really up to two years after Jesus was born. It's very possible and likely that, that Joseph and Mary, once they arrived in Bethlehem and gave birth to a child, that they stayed for at least some time or, or maybe even settled down in Bethlehem. So this could really be up to two years after Jesus' birth. Remember in verse 16 again, when Herod discovers the time, he goes and he, he has killed all the children who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Now it would have been very likely that the, the wise men, the magi, would have taken a number of months to travel from their home country to Bethlehem uh, or to, even to Jerusalem, first to Jerusalem, then to Bethlehem. And the wise men were called magi, and they were well known in the ancient world. They weren't kings themselves, but they were advisors to the kings of the east. They came from Persia, Babylon, and even Arabia. And these magi, these wise men, interpreted dreams, and they read the stars, and they studied all sorts of scientific things. They were also practitioners of the occult as well, and were known in many places for their spiritual power. Our word magic comes from magi, and, uh, and so Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 seems to have been a practitioner of magic, which relates to the word magi. In Acts chapter 13, we learn of a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, the, the son of Jesus, and he was a magician and is called a, a magos, which is a, the singular for magi. And so we see magi or, or, or men who are at least predecessors of the magi in the book of Daniel. 
Uh, remember, Daniel became the leader of the Magi, the leader of all the wise men of the East when he saved them from death when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was going to have all the Magi, all the wise men of Babylon killed because they couldn't tell him his dream and interpret it for them. But God gave Daniel the interpretation of that dream. And Daniel, according to Daniel chapter 2 and verse 48, was made men of the wise men, or he was made the, the chief of the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel 2.48 says, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Now these magi are likely descendants of those magi and they would have learned from Daniel and from other Jewish believers in exile about the, the coming of the Christ. Perhaps they had Daniel's writings or even other portions of Old Testament books. And they would have handed these down from generation to generation and they were expecting the coming of the King of the Jews. Now we aren't told exactly what these men knew or how exactly they knew what they knew, but they saw a star and that star signaled to them that the King of the Jews had been born. And so again in verse 1, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so they came from the east to Jerusalem. And apparently they, these wise men did not know about Micah 5.2, which, which the chief priests are going to quote in verse 6. And they came to Jerusalem assuming really that the king would be born in the capital city. Jerusalem is the capital of Judah, And so they come to Jerusalem and they're asking about where is the one who has been born King of the Jews. Now we aren't told here how many wise men came, certainly more than three. Likely somewhere from 20 to up to 200 people came to Jerusalem at this time and they would have had likely armed soldiers with them to protect them on their journey. And they come saying, that is, they come continually asking the question of verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And so it seems that they're going through town asking everyone, where is the king? Where is the king? And it must have made quite a stir as we'll see in verse 5, all Jerusalem was troubled by this event. Now the Magi must have been surprised when they had found out about this thing and traveled all the way from the east and they come to Jerusalem and it seems that nobody knows about the birth of the King of the Jews. But regardless, these Magi had made a very long journey. They left the comforts of home all to seek the worship of Jesus Christ. And again, these were Gentiles. These are non-Jewish people. Jesus wasn't their king, at least not according to the earthly sense, but they came to worship him. They were seeking to Jesus so that they could worship him. And these Gentiles then are a stark contrast to what we see in verses 3 to 8, what we see in Jerusalem. And so next we'll see that number two, Israel rejects and ignores the king. Israel rejects and ignores the king. And first we see Herod. Herod does not rejoice in the possibility that the Messiah is born. Verse 3, when Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. 
Herod the king heard what the Magi said, and he was troubled, disturbed, stirred up, unsettled, frightened. The, the, the word is a fairly strong one. One commentator said, disturbed is too weak a translation of his reaction, in turmoil, or even terrified. And then he says, he points us to another commentator, Weymouth, who says, greatly agitated would be more accurate. And so the, the sense here is that Herod is troubled and and disturbed in turmoil, terrified, greatly agitated when he hears the news about Jesus. And then we wonder why then was all Jerusalem troubled with him? And the answer to that is either they were troubled because they didn't want the, the Messiah king, just like Herod didn't want the Messiah, or they were troubled because they were worried what Herod might do. And in the first sense, all Jerusalem foreshadows how Israel is going to respond to Jesus later in this gospel, that they were troubled and eventually crucify him. The other side of it highlights the, that Herod was such a wicked man that if he was disturbed, the whole city was disturbed with him. In verse 4, Herod uh, assembles then all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he inquires of them where the Christ was to be born. Notice in verse 2, the Magi had come and they're asking, where is the one born King of the Jews? And in verse 4, Herod recognizes him as the Christ. Now Herod doesn't know much, but he knows enough to know that the king, the Magi are referring to is the Messiah, the Christ. And Herod didn't know where the Christ was to be born. The, the Magi didn't know where the Christ was to be born, but the chief priests and the scribes knew exactly what Scripture taught. And so in verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of, Ju- of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and then they quote Micah, 5-2, along with 2 Samuel 5-2. And so the, the, the priests know exactly what Scripture taught about these things. And, and this really brings up maybe a, a point of application for us. It's wonderful to have knowledge. It, it's wonderful to have knowledge of the truth. The, the Magi, they, they want to worship, and by God's grace, they, they do have a little bit of knowledge, but because they are lacking the knowledge of where to find Christ, they can't follow Him. They can't follow through on what they want to do. And so we need the, the knowledge of the truth if we're going to know God and serve Him rightly. You know, the first 10 to 15 years of my Christian life, I wasn't very taught, taught very well. I didn't go to a good church. I had really all kinds of zeal. I, I, I wanted to serve the Lord with all my heart, but I had very little knowledge. And much of, of that zeal was just wasted in pursuing fruitless things and useless things because I was lacking understanding. I didn't know how to honor the Lord with my life. I didn't know what to do to glorify Him and honor Him. But on the other side of the scale, we need to be careful as well because it's possible to have all kinds of knowledge and to waste your life too. You know, you can know what is true and what is biblical and what is good and not do it. The chief priests, they knew exactly what verse to quote, but their hearts are far from the Lord. They have really no interest in worshiping the King. Their interest is in, in other places. Maybe they want to look good in front of others. They want to rise to the top sphere of influence in their religion. Who knows what each particular priest was after, but whatever it was, they show no interest 
in pursuing Christ. They show no interest in worshiping Him. And so they could quote the verses that show that Christ is the King, but evidently, He was not their King. And so we need to beware of this kind of knowledge. We, we need to know the truth. Don't get me wrong there. We, we absolutely need to know the truth. Our, our worship can only go as deep as our theology. But without the, the knowledge of the truth, we can't worship the Lord. We can't serve God rightly at all. But on the other hand, don't equate knowledge with worship either. Knowledge must facilitate and fuel our worship. Knowledge teaches us how to live in every situation as an act of worship. But worship takes that knowledge and actually does it for the honor and glory of the Lord. Worship t- actually follows through on the how. We, so our knowledge and our worship go together. We understand how to do it, and then we do it for the glory of God. And so Herod, he didn't know, and he didn't want to honor God. The priests, they did know, but they didn't want to honor God. And it will be worse for them at the judgment. And then in verse 6, they're informed, uh, they informed Herod, according to Micah 5.2, look at that again, chap- chapter 2, verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, I want you then to just keep your finger there and then Find Micah 5 and verse 2 where this is quoted from. We want to compare these two passages. Micah is in the the minor prophets right after Jonah. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, except for the last line there, the quote is very similar. Uh, Instead of Ephrathah, Matthew repeats Judah. Uh, Ephrathah was just a, a smaller area in Judah where Bethlehem was. The other difference is in the second line there. Look at that. Micah had, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Now, Matthew added one little word there and changed it to, to Matthew 2.6, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And so Micah again has, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Matthew, by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And, and when the prophecy was given to, to Bethlehem, Bethlehem was too little, too small, too insignificant to be considered among the clans of Judah. It was a, a tiny little insignificant hamlet, we might say. But now, now that the prophecy has been fulfilled, Matthew wants us to know that Bethlehem is by no means least. In other words, Bethlehem, now that Jesus has come and been born there, Bethlehem is very significant. Now the final line is also different between what Matthew quotes and what Micah has. Let's read it again. Micah 5 and verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. 
Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And we can stop right there. The the ruler will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He will shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh. Now what Micah says here is also just picking up on the language from 2 Samuel chapter 5. And so let me just read for you 2 Samuel 5 and verse 1. Micah's drawing from this passage in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 5.1 Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In time past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And so by using this similar language, Micah is saying that the ruler who would come from Bethlehem is another David who would rule not just over Judah, but over all Israel. And the priests, they see the connection between these two passages, and so they quoted them together. And if we put it all together, what we can see is this, is that this shepherd, this son of David, who is also from ancient days, that is, he is eternal God. And that is how he can shepherd his people in the strength of Yahweh and in the majesty of his name. Remember that the name Jesus itself meant that Yahweh saves. And the angel said in 121, He, that is Jesus, will save His people from their sins. In other words, there's this connection between Jesus and Yahweh. Yahweh God, the Eternal One, the, the One who is from ancient days, has been born in Bethlehem. And He's the ruler who will reign over David's throne. He is the king. And so Matthew is bringing all of this together to show us again who Jesus is. But look how Herod and the priest respond to this news. The, again, the priests quote the verse and they do nothing. They don't, they don't even go to check it out. They don't even go with the Magi to Bethlehem. They are apathetic. And Herod in verse 7 calls a secret meeting then. And we find out what he's up to in verse 13. He's trying to destroy this potential rival. In verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And Herod wants to use this information to destroy the king. And Herod even went so far as to pretend to worship the child. Look at verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go, and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod does not want to worship the king. Herod does not want to follow the king. He doesn't want to submit to the king. He doesn't want to bow to the king. Herod wants to kill the king. Again in verse 16, he kills all the male children in Bethlehem, from two years old and under according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. And so Herod's response is anger, wrath, fury. He hates Jesus. He doesn't even know Jesus and yet he hates him and won't have him rule. 
And because he doesn't want Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the King to reign over him, many people, many even religious people have hatred in their hearts toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But that hatred is often veiled until Jesus' claims are pressed home on their lives, until His demands begin to require change. You know, many people can tolerate Jesus just fine until they realize that Jesus will be their King, that He will rule over their life, that He will be their ruler and their Lord. And in the Gospel, Jesus comes to us and He says, follow Me. And what is it that Jesus demands? Why would people hate this Jesus? Because He demands our worship. And not just on Sunday mornings. He demands our worship every minute of our lives. And we who have been saved by grace, we love to give Him our worship, don't we? We love to worship Jesus Christ. We want Him to be our Lord because He is a humble and a gracious Master. And we are so thankful to be enabled to live for Him and love Him and give our lives for Him because we see that He is worthy of our worship. But those who don't truly know the Lord, they hate His demands internally in their hearts, if not externally in their lives and resistance. And they say with the citizens of the parable of Luke chapter 19, we do not want this man to reign over us. And so Herod was angry. The priests were apathetic. Now let's look again at the Magi. This is number three in our outline. The Gentiles worship and serve the king. The Magi go to adore the king. They go to serve the king. They make this long journey to bring gifts to him. Verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The star that they had seen when it rose, or more, even more literally, in the east, signaled that the king had been born. But again, it didn't lead them to Jerusalem. They just went to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the capital. But whatever's happening here in verse 9 is different than what happened with the star earlier. Now there's no known natural phenomenon that can explain verse 9. Astrologists or uh, people who study stars have, have looked into the the, what might have happened there? Were there comets going on? No natural phenomenon that we know can explain verse 9. The star seems to lead them not to Bethlehem. They already knew from, from Micah 5.2 to go to Bethlehem. But the star leads them to the very house where Jesus was. And this is exactly what they needed. Because they were looking for a baby who may have been two years old or under in a rural small area. And so they needed some specific guidance if they were going to find and worship Jesus Christ. It doesn't seem that many people in Bethlehem knew that Jesus was born King of the Jews. And so the star miraculously somehow led them right to Christ and the house where He was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, it seems like the star has now reappeared. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced with joy. That's a, a emphasis that, that is kind of from the Hebrew. Uh, really, this is Greek, but it's kind of a, a Hebrew way to emphasize this. They rejoiced with joy. 
And they, and they rejoiced not just with joy, but they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were overjoyed to be led to Jesus Christ. Whatever's happening here just brings them joy because they realize that God has miraculously led them to the place. And as we think about that, isn't it that, that how it was for you? As a believer in Jesus Christ, didn't God miraculously lead you to find Jesus Christ? Even if it was just the, the miracle of divine providence, how God leads each of His people to discover Him and come to know Him is an amazing thing. And, and God, if you are a believer, has led you to Christ. And what a joy it was to, to find Him and to worship Him. What a joy to come to know the Lord. We rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, as Peter says. We rejoice exceedingly with great joy to come to know this Jesus. And then verse 11 is just such a wonderful verse. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The word there translated worship comes from the word to kiss. And it originally had the idea of bowing down to kiss the feet of a king. The, the Persians who, where this, this kind of first comes from, thought of their kings as, as deified. They thought of their kings as God, and, and so they would, they would kiss the feet of their, their kings who they thought were gods. And the Greeks took up this idea as well, who also thought of their rulers as having divinity, some sort of godness to them, and they would prostrate themselves on the ground, lying down, and they would bow down before a god or before a king in worship. And the word then was used of bowing before kings in an attitude of complete dependence or submission to prostrate oneself, to bow down, to welcome respectfully. And it also is bowing down in worship, to, to worship, to do reverence. And the idea here is, is this idea of worship. They bow down before the, the baby Messiah King and they worship Him. Now this, this verb to translated to worship is used 13 times in Matthew. And although sometimes the, the idea can just be to merely bow down or kneel down very respectfully like you would before a king, it seems that Matthew is really wanting us to, to grab the sense of worship here. And so three times in our text, we see this word in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The Magi asked. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship Him. In verse 8, Herod says that he wants to come and worship Him. And then again in verse 11, they fell down and worshipped Him. In chapter 4 and verse 9, we see this word again where Satan tempts Jesus Christ to worship Him. And Satan says in verse 9, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, notice this here. Jesus says that only God, only the Lord God is worthy of worship. And Matthew wants us to see this connection that only the Lord God is worthy of worship, and yet baby Jesus receives this same worship from the Magi. Look at Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2. I just want to trace this word through, through Matthew with you. Behold, a, a leper came to him and 
knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And that same word there where he kneels before him, calling him Lord, is that same word to to bow and worship. Matthew 9 and verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died and come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And again, this ruler kneels before Jesus. Probably worship implied again in that text, but maybe, maybe less obviously so. In Matthew chapter 14, after Jesus walked on the water and then enabled Peter to walk on the water, in verse 32, after this, this walking on the water, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And so here the disciples worship Jesus as the Son of God. These are Jewish men who know instinctively that there is only one true God and only the Lord God is worthy of worship. And yet, they come to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He too is worthy of worship because He is God. In in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 25, again, a Gentile woman comes and kneels before Him saying, Lord, help me. And now turn to the end of the Gospel in Matthew chapter 28. We're, we're going to skip a couple there. But 13 times this word is used. But Matthew 28 again, very significant. Matthew 28 verse 9, the resurrected Lord now. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. And again in verse 17, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him but some doubted and He commissions them to go and take this Gospel about who He is to the world. And so, Jesus is worthy of worship. Brothers and sisters and friends here today, worship is the proper response to Christ the King, the Son of God. I want you to turn with me then as we think about worshiping Jesus Christ. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. I want to show you something here. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10. The 24 elders seem to be representatives of of mankind, but whatever they were, the 24 elders, they fall down before, note, Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. That's our word there, likely. They worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. And this is really before... God here, before God, the one who is seated on the throne, and they say to Him, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Notice those words, glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. And so the the 24 elders worship God. And then in chapter 5, there is this seal that is introduced, a, a, a sealed scroll And a mighty angel asks, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And the idea of this scroll is that it is the the title deed of the universe. Who is worthy to, to bring 
all that has fallen in creation back into order and back under God's reign. Is anyone worthy? And no one in heaven or on earth is worthy. But behold, in verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. John was weeping as he realizes that nobody is worthy to do this thing. And the elder says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, if you've been with us in our study of Matthew, you're going to recognize that Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah from Genesis 49, verse 10, that he is the root of David from Isaiah chapter 11. And when we finish our study, we're going to see that he has conquered sin, Satan, and death by his perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross. And he, this one, Jesus Christ, is worthy. And in verse 9, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then in verse 11, Revelation 5:11, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And note that those same words there, glory and honor and power from chapter 4 are again now used to worship Christ who is worthy to receive even almost beyond that power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them, all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne that is God and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Oh, friends, Matthew wants us to see so early in this gospel that Jesus is worthy of worship he is worthy to be followed he is worthy to be loved he is worthy to be lived for he is worthy even to suffer for to take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him because he deserves our worship and if we see him rightly like the saints and the angels in heaven see him we will gladly and joyfully and freely give him not only our worship but also our treasure Because in the Gospel, Jesus Christ becomes our treasure. We receive Him as the treasure that He is and we give up all other treasures to live for His sake. And so like the Magi, we we give up our treasures to worship and glorify Him. And so again in verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary His mother and they fell down and worshipped Him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are gifts fit for a king. Do you know what gold and frankincense and myrrh represent? Gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are costly spices. Again, these are gifts fit for a king. These are are gifts. These probably enabled the family to 
avoid Herod's massacre as they made this trip to Egypt. It probably sustained them on this trip and helped them to to endure and, and to live in exile. Verse 12, being warned in a dream that not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And so we have seen in, in our text this morning that the Gentiles, the Magi, seek to worship the king and they make the journey to him. And then secondly, we saw that Israel rejects and ignores the king. Herod rejects the king. The, the priests and the scribes really ignore the king. But again, the Gentiles worship and serve the king and they open their treasures to him. But the question is now, how about you? Brothers and sisters, how about you? How are you responding to Jesus Christ? The, the one thing that, that I come away from the conference this week, it was such a great time to be at the Shepherds Conference, but the one thing that really uh, I'm taking away from that is that I want to see this church, this little hub in Lacrete, come to be a place where Jesus Christ is worshipped. A place where we see Him for who He is, And we live in such a way that He is exalted and magnified and praised and worshipped. Oh, that this would be a place on earth where God is pleased with His worship because we pour out our lives for His glory. There are many people, even in this community, I'm sure, many in the world who, like Herod, will not have this king reign over them. There are many like the priests and the scribes who really don't care much. They, they may have some kind of intellectual knowledge of Christ and who He is and what He's done, but it really makes no difference in their day-to-day lives and how they live. We don't want to be like that at all. We want to be those who worship Jesus Christ. Grace Bible Fellowship, let's be worshipers of Christ. No matter what we're going through in our lives, let's be worshipers who recognize Him for who He is and open our treasures and give our lives so that He might be glorified in this place. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this Word. Thank You for the Magi who came to worship, that You led them to worship, and thank You that You have led many of us to come to know You, to come to see You for who You are. And You have caused us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and live our lives for You. We pray that You would get even more glory from our lives, that You would get the glory that You are worthy of from our lives and from this church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.